Um, I'll go ahead and invite you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, real quick. Um, my name is Kerry Clark. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I am the missions intern here at Lakeview. Um, I've been up here a couple of times. I really don't know why Kevin keeps on inviting me back, but haven't done anything bad yet, so I guess good for me. Um, but tonight we'll be talking about serving. Um, and one announcement that I kind of forgot uh, to get Sophie and Kevin to mention is that I am leading a trip to New York this summer, and we need bodies. So um, I'm trying to look good for the missions pastor, a.k.a. my boss, to get some college students. So if you guys, you know, are free the second week of July, like the Tuesday after 4th of July, um, until that Sunday, please hit me up. Um, we need people, and hopefully I can persuade you to. Uh, <laughs> um, but before we get started, I just wanted to just kind of like, we're about to end of the semester, and I'm so thankful you guys are here. Um, and I know like the semester is kind of ramping up and also winding down at the same time. Time is of the essence. Um, and so I just want to commend you guys for being here. Um, but I also just kind of want to take a second and look back um, and look at the year that Lakeview's kind of had and just reflect at, at man, the Lord's goodness and grace to us. Um, I mean, we had the, the transition from Brother Al to Brian, um, man, going from 40-plus years of faithfulness to a man that has also been faithful to God's Word and, and really seen, like, really no hiccups in the transition. From International, International Missions Festival, from having missionaries from all around the world come in the midst of a pandemic, and be able to talk and to maybe be able to go and visit and see them. I also hear stories about what God's doing from across the globe. And that's not even including all the things that we get to do here on a weekly basis. Like Kevin walking through us revelation on Sunday mornings. I don't know how many times my mind has just been like melted because of what Kevin said. Um, or going through the Holy Spirit on, through CBS on Wednesday nights and the covenants beginning of this semester, um, and going through the means of grace now. That's not even mentioning what we're going through in big church with Brian, right? John and Genesis. And so I just want to be able to just look back and say, man, we are a part of something that most people don't really get to be a part of. And man, I just want us to be able to just think and reflect as the semester's coming to close, and man, just be thankful that we get to be a part of this and hopefully be a member of a church like Lakeview. And so kind of with all that being said, um, just kind of rehash what we've been going through um, here on Wednesday nights. Um, the past couple of weeks, we've, Kevin's gone through prayer and scripture. Um, Riley went through worshiping. Um, I went through witnessing and Greg fasting. And then Riley again last week in silence and solitude. So we're talking about the means of grace. Um, and obviously tonight we'll be talking about serving. And so I just kind of want to just, again, say what I hope we accomplish tonight, and, and what, I, well, what I hope we accomplish tonight is not that we know how to serve better, not that we might take pride in how we serve or in who we serve, but that we might be able to look at Jesus, behold his glory and his majesty, and just marvel. To steal Kevin's analogy one more time, man, the means of grace is like a window, Right? For us to be able to peer and see what's on the outside. And that is to look upon Jesus. Right? When, we, when we talk about worshiping and scripture and praying and fasting, it's to be able to behold Jesus. But so often what we do 
is we like to look at the mirror. We don't like to look through, right? We get, we get stuck on just looking at the window and not looking through it. So I mean, what, what, what I hope tonight, and I know this is something that we kind of talk about a lot in serving, is I mean, we just behold who Jesus is. And one thing that I, I've kind of like tried to instill in my own life is I have a Goodreads account. And for those that don't know, a Goodreads account is just kind of like a social media for books. It's like kind of the only social media that matters. Um, and so whenever I read a book, I always leave a review. And at the end of the review, I say, hashtag, don't lose the wonder. Right? No matter what we're talking about, our God created it, and our God deserves the glory from it. Whether it's something as kind of maybe basic as serving and as cornerstone, we can't take it for granted. We can't lose the wonder about what it means to serve and why we get to serve. So again, whether it's a sermon uh, like tonight where you might have heard this passage a million times or on Sunday where Kevin's talking about beast, bulls, or Babylon. I had to kind of get in my alliteration before we got started. Um, I, I hope we don't lose the wonder. Right? I hope we don't take it for granted. We're all dependent in childlike faith. And I hope we can take that again tonight. Um, and so before we get started, um, before we read the passage, I just want to say, like, what I, what I hope you guys can unpack and see is that serving is all it is, is being able to see a need and then meet it. It's kind of the basic definition that we get to do and why that is such a wonder that we now even get to see, now even get to engage in. So with that being said, let's read our passage for tonight. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me open up my Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born the likeness of men, being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for who you are. We praise you, Lord, that um, you not are only our salvation, but you love us enough to not keep us where we are, but to grow us into something beautiful and ultimately in your image. And so, Lord, as, as we just think and as we just look through the window of gazing upon your glory and on your majesty, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that we would just think about what it means to serve how we can serve, and how we get to serve. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would um, just give me the words to speak, or that whatever I might say that might be confusing, Lord, you would untangle it, 
in their minds. And Lord, that something that might be untrue, Lord, it would quickly escape their minds, and that the truth would remain. Um, and Lord, we just ask this in the name of your Son and of your Spirit. Amen. Um, sweet. Well, I'm going to ask you guys to bear with me because I'm going to be drinking a lot of water. I haven't had a, a lot of, well, I have had a lot of sleep the past couple of days. been a little sick. So, uh, you guys in the front row are kind of in the splash zone. I hope it's not uh, anything too bad. Uh, <laughs> but, so to open it up, <laughs> um, I got tested. Everything was negative. I, I really, I don't know what it was. I slept for like 25 hours over the past two days. I don't know. Um, maybe you guys can just sleep a lot. I don't know. Um, so to, we, I, we have three points for tonight. Um, they are the charge from Paul in the first four verses. We get to understand and see and just what it means to have the mind of Christ and, and what that looks like, what that means for our lives. And then the third point, and the reality that is and also to come. Um, again, I'm the engineer guy who likes structure and PowerPoints. Um, so you're welcome for those that also appreciate that. Um, so jumping right into our first point um, in the first four verses, the charge that we read from Paul is essentially describing the sanctification process, right? And sanctification is the process of eradicating sin in our life and walking in the grace that God gives us. And, and Carrie, how do you know that? And I'm, I'm going to unpack that, and it's going to take a, maybe a little second to get there and, and how we see that. So in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it's right before we got into the fruits of the Spirit last semester. We see the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh, we, it says, this is what Scripture says about them. The works of the flesh also meaning sin in our lives and how they flesh out and how the world, how we see them. Right? So in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, mark that one, dissensions, mark that one, divisions, envies, and those last two, drunkenness and orgies and things like these. I highlighted these kind of, the four in the middle, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envies, is because this is ultimately what Paul is attacking in the first four verses, right? And then ultimately what these four fruits of the flesh kind of reveal is that sin isolates and also turns us inward. And that's kind of the nature of sin, is it isolates and turns inward. So for example, rivalries. It's thinking that you're right and you're willing to fight someone for it. You see already a, a, a pulling apart of two forces, two sides thinking they're right, right? You have dissensions. This is where you start pegging people in certain orders, right? And, and, our, and like even the church, right? Sometimes I do this where it's like, oh, Brian and Kevin above me, college students with me, and then the youth below me, right? That's dissension, viewing people how we, in, in levels almost. And then you have divisions. You start grouping based on what's comfortable, you don't look to people that might be different. We divide. And then we're envious. We, we ultimately want what we want. We look at what other people have. We look at what other people are gaining. 
And ultimately what we're saying is that's unfair, and we deserve that. So even our affections are wrong. And so we see that Paul is essentially attacking these things and is doing the opposite to them. And so I went ahead and laid out um, kind of how Paul attacked these in, in verses 2 through 4. Um, so, yeah. If you, yeah, and so we see the four I laid out, you know, division, rivalry, dissension, and envy. In verse 2, we see that Paul is calling us, right, to be of one mind. That's the opposite of division, to be united, unity. And the second one, rivalry, right, that's, that's counteracted by nothing from selfish ambition. We're not willing to fight against. And then Paul calls us to be humble, dissension, right? Where we view ourselves lower than everyone else. We don't put ourselves in categories. We don't view people in levels. We now view us as the lowliest. And not our own interests that counteracts envy. Right? Because we're looking to others. Envy is ultimately what we want. And so what we see in the first four verses, specifically verses two through four, is that Paul is calling us away from sin, specifically calling us away from inward and isolation and into unity and outwardness, right? So that's what Paul is calling us towards. And the reason why Paul is urging us to do this is it can best be summed up by a famous quote that I'm sure we've all heard here before by John Owen. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. So Paul is just urging us to continue to grow away from sin. To be killing these things like division and rivalry and dissension and envy. Or otherwise, we will be those things. They will start taking manifest in our lives, right? These things that Paul is calling us away from will now be the things that define us. And so, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And that is the call that Paul has for us. But, but specifically in verse 1, like, there's a reason why I kind of jumped it, is because this is where Paul started. Right? And the root of where we start to now begin this process of going away from sin and towards grace begins in verse 1. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... What, what does that mean? Well, it means if, if we hear the gospel and our hearts are warmed, we, we, like, we grow more secure, we don't hate this Jesus guy, but we want to follow more towards him, well, that means there's a process begun within us. Right? There's a process that has started, and our next steps ought to be these things, ought to be pursuing being of one mind, being humble, looking to other people's interests. So in 1 John chapter 4, verses 13, right? I'm going to turn there myself. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, the beginning of the little paragraph, talks about in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then in verse 13, it says, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. 
So what starts us on this journey is that God loves us and he is turning us from inward to outward and that now we ought to be fighting off sin and towards grace. Right? So this process is now beginning because God has loved us. And the beautiful thing about this is that as we about to jump into the next uh, point, is that, man, the, the process has been laid out for us, right? Is that love has started us. We now pursue being of one mind, being united with the body, lowering ourselves and being humble, considering others more significant than us, than looking to others' interests. Right? This is the kind of the process that we have begun because God has loved us. And the way we can now tangibly do this we can find in verse 5 of our passage in Philippians 2. It says, Have this, in verse 5, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul is telling us to now put on the mind of Christ. To now put on how Jesus thought and how he felt. And in verses 6 through 8, which I'm going to read, this is how they describe it. Verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking a form of a servant, being, for, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we talked about the unworking powers that grace has on our lives, right? That now that God has loved us, now that we love Jesus, things are now starting to happen. And the way that we are able to do these things is because Christ has already done them. Right? Because we can be unified is because Christ is the source of unity. He was unity, so now we can be partaking in being unified. Christ was the source of submission and humble, so now we can be humble. And so what being the mind of Christ is and putting that on, verse 7 describes it to us. It says, Jesus took on the form of a servant. This is why I pick our passage for tonight. The nature of who Jesus was was being a servant. So if Christ's nature was being a servant, and we were to put on the mind of Christ, what, what does that mean? Right? If we are now to begin on this process of removing sin from our lives and walking and moving towards grace, how are you supposed to do that? There's a couple of passages that I'm just going to read, and hopefully you guys can write down and look to them later. Um, that help make sense of this. Romans chapter 12, verses 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true and righteousness and holiness. So we see that there's this language of renewing ourselves and putting on this new mind. And to put on the, the nature of God, the likeness of God. And so if Philippians 2 is telling us that is a servant, and that is what we ought to do. So for us to put on this existence, right, to, to now partake in it. We have to now understand and know what Christ meant by that. So to grow into grace and away from sin, we have to walk and pursue and be like Jesus 
and that is being like a servant. That's ultimately where I was trying to get to with all of that. And now we're going to talk about, man, what does it mean to be a servant? And in these next four, three verses, verses 6 through 8, we see three things that Christ ultimately fulfilled and displayed for us. The first is humility in verse 6. Right, I'll go ahead and read that again. Who though, Jesus, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we see that, God, that Jesus knew he was the same position as God. Right, he, he, he was God. He knew that. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16 describe him as this. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So we see that who Jesus is, he knew this. He did not misunderstand this. He created all things and all things were for him. Right? So, so when we think about that, we, we see that God is deserving all praise, so Jesus is deserving of all praise. And we even think about, say for instance, the angels, how people cowered and feared. Jesus over the angels, shouldn't we be cowering and fearing from him? But yet he did not consider himself equal with God. Right? This was his greatest strength allowed him to be used to do what the Father wanted him to accomplish. But why? Why was the one that makes demons flee, the creator of all things, the one who invented time, the one um, who, who makes the weather obey him, the one who gave us breath to, to, to breathe? Why did he not consider himself equal? Well, it's because he valued us more than his position. What he ultimately desired, what he ultimately loved was us. Well, why? Well, we had a need, right? And we saw from the progression, right, that what we ultimately end in is other interests and not ourselves. What Jesus ultimately wanted and desired was us. And he wanted what we desired, but not in the same way. What we desired was to be kings, to live our own lives, to live forever, to do what we think is right. And what Jesus came and did is, is he totally turned that on its head. He saw the need in our sin, and he came to serve that. He valued his position, or he valued us way more than his position. This is the beautiful news of who Jesus is, right? The Son of God, knowing his place in the Trinity, desired us sinful, rotten, rebellious people. Desired us more than his position. But so how does this relate to us? Jesus' humility of, of knowing his position and yet still wanting and desiring us more than that is that now we value people 
more than our position, <laughs> right? Whether that's us being right, whether that's us um, being in the know, right? We, we serve the server at the restaurants because they are more valuable than us being the customer. We serve our enemies because we value them more than being justified. We serve friends that disagree with us because we value them more than our opinion and what, how people view us. And ultimately, we see the need in other people because we see the need in our own lives. We just happen to go to Christ for it. We are free in Christ, no question. That is the reality. But now we become, in some capacity, slaves to those around us, wanting to serve them. Wanting them to know and see what God we serve. Matthew 20, verse 16 says this, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Right? We point to Christ by doing this. He was last so that we might be first. We are last so that they might become first. That's the whole model. We model in, in our walk away from sin into grace the same way that Christ saved and redeemed us by serving. There's this uh, famous quote that Elizabeth Elliot had um, that tried to adopt in my own life. <laughs> um, and, and, and this quote is, not my life, but yours. Right? That whenever we come into a situation, man, you are above me. You are what takes precedence. You are what ultimately I desire. Not my life, but yours. And that can be frustrating, <laughs> right? Whether you're in a rush to get to class, whether... Um, you're trying to study, but a friend calls you. Not my life, but yours. Because again, we see the need. We know our position and what we should be doing and probably ought to be doing. But we value them more than all of that. That's what Christ said to us. Knowing he was God, yet coming and, and being among us. And that leads us into our second point, which is the presence that Jesus showed us in verse 7. What I mean by presence is that he was present. And, and you have to be present in order to serve. You can't, you can't serve something that you're not around. Right? So in verse 7 it says this, But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus saw our need and he wanted to serve us, taking this nature of a servant, so he came and dwelt among us, right? So, so if we are to serve, we have to be around people, whether that's our engineering societies, whether that's um, in our classes, whether that's at the rec, we have to be around people to serve people. We have to be around hurting to comfort the hurting, right? We, we can't be often removed. We can't be wanting other people to do it. We can't, like, we, we can give our money to it, but at some point, we have to be a part of it. And that takes time. It takes commitment. That's what Jesus did. He came and dwelt among us. He 
gave himself a body, right, to be among us. He made the impossible possible. What bigger commitment is that? So if we were to truly serve as Jesus serves, then we have to be around hurting and broken people and committed to them. Even if they hurt us, even if they afflict us, even if they forget about our birthday, our friends. But another kind of caveat to that is that we also have to be around the church to serve the church. We, it's great to all like show up on Sundays and even on Wednesdays, but the church is more than just two days a week. Right? If we are members of a church, then we ought to be serving its members too. Jesus told us in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And part of that love is serving one another. So we have to be present and know our brothers and sisters and, and, and know about the hurts, not just in the college ministry, but also church-wide. And so to be a server and to grow in that, and to know what it means to serve, then we have to be present. The beautiful thing about him saying that was this was right after Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It was the ultimate sign of service in the Jewish custom. So if we are to serve a hurting and broken world, we're going to have to get our feet dirty. It also means in the church too. Because <laughs> we are all sinners and we all have a need. And again, why do we serve? To point to how Jesus was last so that we might be first. So we are last, so others might be first. So that moves into my third point in obeying in verse 8. Um, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus obeyed the Father's plan for him. Right? He, he knew what, what he was sent here to do. He knew, he knew what he must do. <laughs> The sign of death became our sign of victory because Jesus was obedient. But I don't, I don't know if Jesus knew exactly, well, he probably did when he came, that he was going to die on a cross and suffer all this anguish. That's probably why he cried in the garden, right, knowing that he would be separated from his father. So he knew what the father had for him. In a lot of ways, some of us know what the father has for us, Right? He knows that some of us are either to be nurses or an engineer, going into ministry, or being simply a mother or a doctor or a carpenter or a tradesman. We know what, what God, how God has wired us and now what we ought to do, and so we're going to go be obedient. But even if we don't know that, that's okay, because even at the root of it, there's something more that God has designed us to do. And what God has designed us to do is to love his church, to love his word, and to love the world. So as we serve, we're reminded of this. That even though we might have a job, even though we might know what our calling might be, we serve and we're reminded that we're to love his word. We're to love the church that he he bought and redeemed, wanted to love the world that he came to die for.
But even uniquely, we all are designed uniquely to obey in certain ways, whether that's to serve in a soup kitchen or to serve um, in VBS or in youth or at a, a woman's hope clinic um, or to even go uh, overseas on your summers, Right? And when our eyes are open to this and we start seeing all the brokenness and the hurting, we get overwhelmed because we can't fix all of it. We don't live in a city like this, but in some big cities, there are homeless people everywhere. So there was a need everywhere. And we would grow tired and at our wits end trying to meet all these needs. But praise be to God, we don't have to. And so as we're thinking about also as college students and as the semester's coming to close, you're about to go off to summer and you can go overseas or if you're working an internship or even staying home, I, mean, I want to encourage you guys that when your eyes start to be opened to the needs around us and, and the Lord is trying to stir you to be obedient in certain things, that it's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay to be reminded of how lost and broken this world is. But what's not okay is to stay there. What's not okay is to not remember the hope of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what if we might help the one of the 100,000 homeless people and who knows where? It's not in vain. We're obedient to one and we please the one. That's how Jesus pleased his father. We now please the father. So Brother Al had this famous saying um, that really applies to global missions, but I think applies to any aspect of our lives. It's go, send, or disobey. Right? When we see a need, we are first supposed to be present and around it. We can also send if we can't right then and there. Or we could disobey. So I encourage you, as your hearts are open, as your, as your eyes can now see the hurting, the broken, all the yuck in the world, and be obedient. So that moves into our third point, which is the reality that is to come, in verses 9 through 10, or 9 through 11. It says this, Therefore God, right after all these things we've learned, moving away from sin and towards grace, by putting on the mind of Christ, by seeing how we're supposed to be humble, being present and being obedient to the Father. Therefore God has highly exalted him, being Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I label this point the reality that is and to come. Meaning, Jesus is in heaven, highly exalted and glorified, right? He's receiving the praise at the end of time, but yet we are not there yet. So there's this weird tension between now and not yet. It keeps on coming up. So we see that Jesus will receive his glory in time. Jesus has been and forever will be Son of the Trinity, 
But now, what we see is that something's changed. He is no longer the servant, but he is the king. He has changed from servant to king. Yes, that nature is still there, but now he will be glorified. Now every tongue, now every knee will bow, above, on, or below the earth. And it was this reality and this security that also allowed Jesus to step down and serve us, knowing what the end will bring. Our greatest need was him. And that is what he will ultimately give us, what we will ultimately receive is him. Whether in judgment or in salvation. So the security that Jesus knew he had allowed him to be a servant. And this is what also allows us to be a servant. All right, Psalm 91. I'm going to flip there real quick. Psalm 91. It's essentially just talking about the Lord being our refuge and our strength. This is now the reality also for us. Jesus knew he would be glorified so he could serve now. Right? So Psalm 91, I'm just going to read verse 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Right? So, so we see that when we make the Lord our God, no harm will befall us in eternity. It might hurt us now, but now that frees us to go and serve, to go and be afflicted, to go and be in uncomfortable situations. The same security that Jesus knew he had for eternity, the same security that now we can experience. And again, we go as Jesus goes. So since he was a servant, we are a servant in this life. He is king in the next life, we will be kings in the next life. I mean, what a beautiful reality that is. But one other thing that makes this really, really sweet about who Jesus is, is Revelation 5. Revelation 5 shows us is that Jesus being the servant and being obedient is what made him worthy to proclaim judgment and to save. So Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. You can write this down later, or read this later, but just listen to this. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. All right, Jesus slaying, being slain, and being obedient, and coming and serving us, being last so we might be first, 
also is what made him worthy. What the freedom we now have is that we don't have to do these things to have our prize. Jesus has done this so we might not have to. We get to. This is the beautiful reality of Jesus now that when we are either shoveling, digging a hole in Africa um, or cleaning the bathroom at who knows where, <laughs> we can be reminded we don't have to do this to be saved. We get to. Because Jesus was the ultimate servant, we get to serve. We're no longer inwardly focused, we're outwardly focused. So we see the needs. The fact we even get to see them is a grace in and of itself. Not my life, but yours. So I want to close um, with this story that I ran across um, to kind of help um, hopefully kind of put together what we as believers get to do. Um, it was a World War II story. I love military. I love all that stuff. Um, kind of a nerd when it comes to it. Um, but there was this guy named Desmond Doss. Um, some of y'all might recognize that name. It's cool if you don't. Um, he was a pacifist, a Christian pacifist, meaning he did not believe we should be at war. But he got um, conscripted to be into the army, got enlisted, and he said, I don't want to bear any arms. Right? I don't want to go into the military. I don't want to fight. I don't want to do these things. And so he got ridiculed, probably sat by himself at lunch, um, probably had some mean pranks as army guys do to each other. Um, I wouldn't know. I don't like pain, so I try, try and stay away from that. Um, <laughs> but he got moved into being uh, like in the, the first aid kind of tent, whatever you call it. I, I don't really know. Um, and he got put there because he didn't want to hold a gun. And so his battalion or whatever got deployed in 1945 um, to Okinawa, one of the more bloodier battles in American history. And so when, they, when the American soldiers arrived, they were kind of ambushed by Japanese soldiers. And the, the base camp of the Americans were kind of below this kind of almost cliff hangoff kind of thing. And so when the Americans got over and they started walking out, they kind of got ambushed. So the battle raged on throughout the night. And down below, they could hear screaming and they could hear calls for help. But no one wanted to go up there because they, they knew something was going wrong. But in the dead of night, Private Doss took himself up there. He started seeing all the injured soldiers trying to get away. But they couldn't. There's this massive drop-off. So one by one, he started pulling them down, one by one. And it was said that as he was saving these people, he said, please, Lord, just one more. Just one more, Lord, please. So when the night had ended and the morning had gone, it was over 75 men he had safely transported back into the camp. And they asked him later, Man, Private Doss, why, why did you do these things? Why, why were you able to do these 75? Like, why? These, these were the same men that we know ridiculed you. Like, why, why did you try and save them? He said, this, this isn't my life to live. Some of you might know that story. It's actually the story of Hacksaw Ridge, a great movie I committed to you. But, but, but I, I, I truly give you this story to also give us a picture of our lives. Right? We aren't the ones that are to save. Jesus has saved. 
but we get to seeing the brokenness and the hurting. We get to maybe pull them closer back to army base. (laughs) Saying, please, Lord, just one more. We see the need, we see the brokenness. Lord, not my life, but yours. Help me to see the needs and help me to fill it. And praise be to God that we serve a God who models that, who stepped out of knowing he was God because he loved us so much to be man. He was first, he was last so that we might be first. Now we are last so that others might be first. And I leave y'all with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I am myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them for the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for how good you are. Lord, we praise you, Lord, that we are no longer inwardly focused. Praise the Lord that we can now see the sinfulness and the brokenness and how much it hurts to be a part of a world like this. And knowing friends and family or that don't know you. Also being hurt by others that are believers. But one thing we recognize is that all of us have the same issue this side of heaven and that's sin. Lord, now we get to go and meet the problem, whatever that is. That's mowing the grass, making dinner, cleaning dinner, going overseas or preaching. Lord, praise be to you that we get to. And praise be to you that we go as you go. It's your name we pray. Amen.